welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey Cast. I'm here with my co-host Mark, as always. Hello. And uh, our first uh, guest this week, Nuno Henry Silva, fresh from uh, writing the music that we all know and love, and you've all gotten used to hearing. Our secret third member of the podcast. Why don't you say, "Hey, Nuno." Hey, everyone. He does exist. We promised you guests. We told you he was coming. He was a lot like Gabbo. We kept saying he was coming. And now he's here. It's true. And we're very happy to he- have you on, brother. Thanks. Um, happy but, to be here. You know, we're, we've got some really interesting things to talk about tonight. Uh, a lot of interesting plugs. Um, we're calling this one Creativity in Whiskey, which is going to cover a lot of things. But before we get into that, uh, a wonderful topic we've got. Mark, what you been up to this week? Well, uh, this week was pretty good. It only snowed twice, uh, which has been low. It's good. You know? uh, it's about to start any minute now. I'm looking out of the window here of the 1821 Studios because it's supposed to start literally any minute again. Uh, so maybe you'll just hear me cursing in the background randomly halfway through Nuno's episode here, but that just means it started to snow. <laughs> um but, you know, it was a big th- week this week for us. We bought more internets. We did. We bought most of the internet, it seems. We have so many internets. I had to take some, keep some for spares. Uh, they're out in the garage with the Roadster. Uh, if we need them, we will deploy them. Uh, I didn't. I wrote a list of all the, the places now on the internet you can find us, but I forgot it. It's at my real office. But needless to say, as of... You hearing this, everyone within the sound of my voice will be able to find us on no less than 15 different locations on our website. Yes, it's uh, very and, exciting. And that's our whole back catalog, season one, season two, the trailers, the Christmas special, the New Year special, the whole nine yards. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go through all of that probably next week when I remember to bring the list. But all the biggies are there. You know, of course, we're already on Spotify. We're already on Apple Podcasts. But we're on Google Podcasts now. We're on iHeartRadio, Player FM, Podbean, yada, 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 yada. So that's a pretty big deal for us. Uh, I'm excited about that. Otherwise, you know, just staying in, trying to get through the winter because winter sucks and I hate it. I'm a bear. <laughs> I hibernate. What about you? Uh, I... Also bought more internets, and um, can, can we just talk about how amazing multi-track recording and editing is? I uh, never want to go back. This has been, uh, for the last, well, I guess it's two weeks now, maybe a bit more, two, you know, maybe 15 days, 16 days, something like this. This has been our conversation. We'll be talking about X, Y, and Z, and DJ will just, you know, in a break in the conversation, a break in the text, just say, can I, did I mention today how great the multi-track recording is? <laughs> It's it's just so good. Uh, after our disastrous audio on the sports ball episode, I shelled out for it, and oh man, editing was so much easier last week. I'm never we have had talk some, about this. We've had some fun uh, audio things, you know. That what was it? Episode three when you decided that I didn't get to play, yeah, and, and I wasn't in the podcast when it went up. Uh, we had the sports ball episode, which, you know, we got a little funky, but I, if we were going to screw up the audio on any episode, it would be the sports ball one. That's the one to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of (laughs) fits. Uh, but other than that, I'm gearing up for some job interviews this week, uh, you know, just some different positions at my company. So there's been, uh, just a lot of like prep and paperwork and 
doing my taxes and I it's just hardcore adulting lately so I kind of got lazy today and just played a lot of Digimon Cyber Sleuth <laughs> Brother, 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 we're, we're Americans. Just pay somebody to do your taxes. <laughs> oh, oh, I do, but I never, I don't, like, remember throughout the year to just pop documents in a folder to just give to my accountant later, so it usually takes me a day to remember all of the things I should be giving him. Mm. Oh, see, I'm very lucky in that my wife is almost 100% pureblood German, <laughs> and if there's one thing that the Germans love, it is a paper trail. So I don't have a choice whether or not to turn over the documents over the course of the year, because if I don't, there's every consequences. That's fair. But yeah, it's been a lot of adulting this week. How about you, Nuno? How was your week? Uh, pretty good, actually. Uh, I made a lot of progress with uh, poetry. That's a new hobby I'm picking up on now. I guess just getting straight to the whole creativity thing. <laughs> nice. And uh, also, uh, I worked on my blog yesterday. I hadn't touched my blog in a few weeks, so yesterday I worked on a new post, and... Uh, did a little bit of revising today and put that up online just a couple of hours ago. So, yeah, pretty productive week, I would say. That's amazing. Hey, shameless plug. That's a great segue, Nuno. <laughs> I put up something on our blog, and it was the first time in forever that we've put up anything on our blog. But we have more internets now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I actually put up the recipe and the step-by-step for the Mandarin Madness cocktail that I talked about two weeks ago. So if you're interested, go on thewittenwhiskey.com. It's up there. You can find it. It's... I mean, it's okay. I still wrote it, so it's not the best thing. It's, but it's there. It's my favorite thing in the world, Mark, every time you put up a blog post. Because every time, it's like Timmy's first blog post. How do I get these pictures in here? How do I get the text to show up? Uh, you know, I mean, I think we're all roughly the same age, although Nuno may be a little bit older than us. Uh, but, you know, when I... Younger. Was younger. Okay, well, there you go. That works. <laughs> Uh, so I guess I'm the oldest one here then, because I'm older than DJ. So yeah, this yeah. Th- this really works where I'm going with this. Yeah. I think I'm about uh, ten years younger than uh, DJ actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. Right. I, I, it's rare for me not to be the youngest one in the room. But yeah, it really is. Yeah, thanks, Nuno. I, I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, that was intentional. I'm sorry. <laughs> and by might... the way. Uh, DJ, I forgot that when we recorded the promo episode a few weeks ago, I accidentally referred to you on air as Dan because I forgot that outside of work you go by DJ. Oh, it's all good. It's really fun for me to get to have people from work and people from my you know personal life all get together because inevitably somebody will say Dan and the people in my personal life will go, who the fuck are you talking about? And vice versa. <laughs> hey, exactly. how do you think I feel every week when I put the new episode up on Facebook and I'm like, why isn't it tagging DJ? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. Hang on. Daniel. There he is. I did put it in as as nicknamed DJ, and apparently Facebook still doesn't allow you to search for it. I was going to say, it does, does nothing. No. <laughs> Zuckerbot does not approve. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Um, so normally this is where Mark and I would exclusively talk about whiskey for the next 15 minutes. Um, but I, this is the first episode that we've ever had a teetotaler on. <laughs> and uh, so, Nuno, I figured before Mark and I kind of get into talking about whiskey, mm-hmm. um, you could tell us a little bit about what you're drinking tonight. Sure. So actually, if you hear me gulping throughout the episodes because I'm drinking uh – celestial herbal tea particularly the vitamin c one that's like derived from oranges and lemons like citrus type stuff it's pretty good um i have all kinds of teas celestial is the brand i always go to when i want to drink like an herbal tea Uh, like i just went through a whole box of watermelon tea from them it was pretty good that sounds amazing yep 
And then I drink some caffeinated teas too. Uh, Kirkland green matcha tea is a, is a big one for me. And uh, when it comes to black tea, it's usually either Bigelow or Tazo uh, for me. Nice. We should have had him on for the coffee versus tea episode. You might have won then, DJ. Oh, I already did win. <laughs> you just know, you just refuse to acknowledge it. Now, Nuno, I have to mm-hmm. ask, um, you know, how is it when uh, you go places? You know, I, I believe it's Sean Mullaney does a, a whole stand-up bit about how they don't know how to... His friends don't know how to deal with a teetotaler <laughs> when you, oh, know, you well, go to when, parties and when you, when no, you go no, no. out somewhere. Yeah, I should clarify. When I, when I go out, I do drink uh, when I'm out socializing with people. Uh, it's only okay. I just don't like to drink at home. And there's really no reason for it. It's not a personal thing, I don't think. It's just like a preference thing. So That's totally fair. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you're teetotaler in the moment, teetotaler for life. Uh, my, my wife mm-hmm. doesn't drink at all either. Uh, so... You know, there's there's many ways to kind of go through it. Uh, when you do go out, Nuno, what's your what's your like poison of choice? Oh, uh, for a while I was a beer person. Uh, I really liked uh, Blue Moon, and uh, so I drank that a whole bunch. Uh, I don't know. Every now and then I would drink like an IPA, like White Allagash or something like that. Uh, but uh, then towards the end, like right before COVID, before the the apocalypse, the before times, uh, I was starting to get really into. Uh, ciders like hard ciders no particular brand just ciders in general uh but then of course once covid hit i kind of stopped going out that much so i yeah i don't think i've had a drink in like a really long time actually because i'm just kind of home all the time now but you know i'm, I'm fine coasting along <laughs> that's fair it's really interesting to talk to somebody who isn't drinking during the pandemic because <laughs> you know i went through all the bartending stuff last year and I remember and, that. And yeah. took all the mixology classes and, and stuff like that. So it's like, like drinking has been the thing I got into during the pandemic. Yeah, I think with me it's a little different because, and again, not to segue too early into the topic of today, but like when it comes, to, you know, I, I'm always trying to be creative like every spare minute of the day that I get, whether it's working on a short story or, you know, a while back working on a song and now working on a poem. And then in between that blog posts, I'm always keeping myself busy with that stuff. And when I'm home alone, cause that's just like what keeps me motivated and kind of gets me through rough times, especially now with the pandemic and everything. And I like to be sober for all that stuff. Some, some creative people actually say that drinking a little bit kind of helps them and I'm not putting anybody down as long as you're like drinking responsibly and everything like that, then you do you, you know, uh, People got to do what they got to do to get kind of fuel their inspiration. I think it was, was it Ernest Hemingway who has the famous quote, uh, right, drunk, edit sober? <laughs> yes. He's, yeah, that was him, right? So, like, I've tried that. doesn't really work for me, but, you know, everybody's got to find their different rhythm. But, um, so, yeah, I guess just not really drinking during the pandemic just kind of makes sense for the way I do things. That's awesome. We, we always love different perspectives. Thanks. Uh, for those of us who aren't teetotaling tonight, uh, Mark, what are you drinking? Well, uh, you know, this is going to be two out of three weeks here. You know, we're, we're becoming a little bit of a trend. I, I don't know if it's if I'm becoming creative or if I'm just being bored, you know, if I'm getting a cabin fever here because it's the winter. But I'm drinking another cocktail this week. I'm going to have to up my game. Uh, so this week... I am trying a Monte Carlo. Nice. Now, for, you know, it's 
Monte Carlo is many things. You know, it's the capital city of the Principality of Monaco. It's the home to the greatest motor race in the world. And it's also a pretty interesting variant of an old-fashioned. So you have your rye, you have your bitters, you have a lemon peel, and then you add Benedictine. Mm. And Benedictine is something that I had, you know, sort of heard of, you know, okay, it's this French liqueur, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I don't really, you know, I'm not much of a champagne guy, so exclusive French drinks aren't really my, my bag. But this is the, you know, main component in a Monte Carlo. So doing a little research, Benedictine is actually really interesting. Uh, do you know the official DJ, uh, uh, the official history DJ or Nuno, either one of you? Mm-hmm. The official history of Benedictine is that in the year 1510, a Benedictine monk, obviously, named Dom Bernando, uh, moved from central Italy to a monastery in Free Camp, northern France, where there actually was a famous Benedictine monastery. Mm. Uh, he had studied in alchemy, you know, in sort of the herbal medical arts. And so he came up with this liqueur with all of these plants and citrus roots and things. And originally he was selling it as a health tonic, as a panacea. Supposedly King Francis I came down uh, to sample it right at the monastery and proclaimed, you know, my God, I've never tasted anything better. And then during the French Revolution in the 1790s, the monastery was burned to the ground and the recipe was lost for 75 years or so. Yeah, woof. That's the official story. In actuality, everything I just told you is a complete and utter lie. Of course, because alcohol <laughs> history and liquor history is apocryphal at best. <laughs> at best, or in this case, completely made up bullshit. The <laughs> real story of Benedictine is that a door-to-door liquor salesman named Alexander Legrand (laughs) came up with the recipe in the 1860s and realized he needed a pretty good story. So he he just came up with everything I just told you. And, you know, he even to this day, they're owned by Bacardi today. If you go through all the different sales and everything, they're currently owned by Bacardi. But even today, it still says uh, Dom on the bottle. It still has the wax seal of the Benedictine monks. It still claims to have been created in 1510, right on the label. It even has uh, the Latin on it from the Benedictine monks, Deo Optimo Maximo, to God, the most good, the most great. Uh, You know, they're really... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're really keeping it. Yeah, that really goes <laughs> to show you, like, the power of myth and the power of fable, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, in reality, it's actually kind of the KFC of liqueurs. Oh, wow. In that it's 27 herbs and spices <laughs> that make up Benedictine, of which we know 21. Um, Angelica... Oh. Hyssop, juniper, myrrh, saffron, mace, fir cones, aloe, arnica, lemon balm, tea, thyme, coriander, clove, lemon, vanilla, orange peel, honey, red berries, cinnamon, and nutmeg. Wow. The other six ingredients and the ratio of all 27 is allegedly, according to Bacardi in the modern day, known by no more than three individuals at a time. (laughs) Secret formula. 
Secret formula of Benedictine. Um, it's still bottled in France, which is kind of fun. So yes. it's, you know, basically this fun little liqueur, this little panacea, old snake oil, uh, that you need to mix with the rye of your choice. So you put a half a shot of Benedictine in a glass. You put two shots of the rye of your choice in a glass. I used uh, wild turkey rye just because that is a known quantity. I know what I'm getting with that. <laughs> so if it's good with wild turkey, it'll be good with literally anything. Uh, you add your bitters pretty much to taste. I use three good shakes of the bottle. And then you add a lemon peel. And then you stir it, and it's very important that you stir it because the thing that they don't tell you that I didn't really realize until I poured it out is Benedictine is very thick. It's like a syrup. So between the Benedictine, between the rye, and between the bitters, you have three different consistencies in the glass. Mm. So you got to stir the shit out of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, then you take it from your gla- the glass that you mix it all in and you pour it over a giant whiskey ice cube, you know, one of the really big ones, mm-hmm. and enjoy. And overall, it's not bad. Benedictine, if I could describe it, and boy, I'm going to get a lot of hate tweets for this, but I'm Italian, so it's the only thing I can compare it to. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of licorice it's kind of, uh, you know, sweet. Definitely, you don't pick up on the citrusy. You don't pick up on, like, the nutmeg or, you know, the cinnamon or anything. But, you know, the vanilla is right there. Uh, the, you know, you could taste the uh, myrrh. You could taste the, the saffron. It, it's really kind of spicy. It doesn't really taste like anything. That was what the wife, the wife took a, a, was sipping a shot of it. And she said, this doesn't really, you know, this doesn't taste like anything. And I said, nah, not really. Yeah. But when you mix it with the rye and you throw a little bit of bitters in, it's a little spicy. It's it's uh, not bad. It's not as good as a gold rush or a traditional old-fashioned, in my opinion. But it's not bad. And if this was on the menu somewhere, I could see ordering it. Nice. That's that's awesome. How does it compare to, like, Galliano? Uh... I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know. It's been so long since I've had Galliano. That's a good question. I, I don't really know. I will say this was a lot harder to get. Um, of course, we have the liquor monopoly in Pennsylvania that I often rail about in this section of the podcast. <laughs> uh, but the liquor monopoly has an app that lets you uh, see where it was. There's only two stores, you know, within driving distance of my house, there's about a eight to 10 liquor stores. Only two of them possessed Benedictine. The wife happened to be running errands up near one of them. I asked her if she would stop and get me a bottle. Uh, She went there. She couldn't find it. She asked a gentleman. They had literally one bottle in the back. So it (laughs) wasn't the easiest thing to acquire. Oh, to live in a state where they just have, like, no liquor monopoly. (laughs) Yeah, I yeah, I gotta move, but someplace warm and someplace where you could buy like you know whiskey at a gas station. But yeah, It'd be great. while I'm dreaming, I want a pony. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what are you drinking? <laughs> uh, so I'm drinking. Uh, I I'm glad one of us went with just straight whiskey this week. So I, I went with Hunter and Scott Bourbon, and it's uh, made in Virginia. It's uh, it's kind of like an offshoot distillery of Reservoir. Uh, from Virginia, and uh, it's pretty good. It comes in this nice, tall bottle with a very uh, pretty-looking, like, black and and copper label. Um, 
and uh, yeah, they number their bottles so that you know that that's kind of fun. Uh, it's ninety proof, uh, so that's that's pretty up there. It, it, the proof is high enough to make my tongue tingle while I'm drinking it, so that's fun. Got that that. Um, it's good. It's uh, they they advertise it as a smooth and balanced bourbon. It's a mash of uh, three quarter corn to twenty uh, percent wheat and then five percent rye, um, and and they advertise as locally grown everywhere. Um, as compared to most of the other bourbons I like, you know, like Knob Creek, um, is kind of, or or Bullet, uh, it's a bit spicier. Um, it, it seems a bit more rye ish than I would expect out of a. Uh, a bourbon that only has five percent rye in it, but it's good. It's um, it, it's it's re- it's mostly the wood that hits you. That nice barrel aging, and it's got, um. I'm you know it, I tend to gravitate towards the you know the fruity the vanilla the, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff, and it, it doesn't really have any of that. It's just got the nice burn, and it kind of mellows out on your tongue. So, uh, I definitely recommend it. It's it's kind of a mid tier. It's like a uh, just under $40 bottle, and it was new at the liquor store, so I figured I'd pick it up. Uh, they advertise Hunter and Scott as the younger brother of Reservoir Distillery, um, and I, I don't really know too much. I, I don't know if Hunter and Scott is its own... I don't know if that's an indication of the bourbon or an indication of the distillery, um, but uh, it, it's good. I, I definitely recommend trying it out. You sounded like me there when I had my last accident that made me stop racing. You know, when I hit the tree, you said the woods what really hits you. It usually <laughs> is. <laughs> but um, um, you know, no. If, remember, speed has never killed anyone. Suddenly becoming stationary—that's what gets you. That's what got me. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, that, that's it. Reminds me of one of the core rules of uh, riding a motorcycle that they taught in a uh, in my motorcycle class, like years and years and years ago, that. Um, uh, when you're when you're riding a motorcycle, uh, they're actually like infinitely easier to control at speed. So as you're, it's really hard to learn how to ride a motorcycle because you want to go really slow and then you fall over. Yeah, no, I mean that checks out. A lot of things that are built to be, you know, uh, built for a operating speed are very terrible and very futzy at low speed. I mean, the best example is if you watch, you know, Formula One. I mean, they're the the pinnacle of mechanical engineering they could you know take corners at literally five five and a half g putzing mm-hmm. around the pits at 40 miles an hour they hit shit they fall apart they do x they do y <laughs> really? i mean how many yeah i mean how many times do you see videos on youtube of guys ripping down the air hoses and you know there there was the famous video of uh, robert kubitza he was doing a test for alfa romero last winter and he drove out of the pits and ripped the thing down over the garage the sign ripped it off because they're just they're they're not good at low speed they're not made for low speed <laughs> Woof. but wow. yeah that that uh, gets us into our amazing topic this week uh which we have an amazing guest on so nuno thank you for joining us thanks again for having me and uh you know, I, we're going to thank you again at the end of the episode, but thanks uh, for letting us use your music for our intro and outro. Not a problem. Happy uh, to have helped. For for our fans who, who may not know, um, we talked with Nuno quite a bit before launching this podcast, and uh, he sent us a lot of really great instrumental tracks, and we ended up taking... Um, 
30-second snippets of two of Nuno's tracks. So our intro is uh, Meant to Go Insane, and our outro is called Influx. And, uh, Nuno, I guess for my first question, uh, it would be, like, what was it like writing those tracks? Oh, um, hmm. Well, Meant to Go Insane, I started writing way back in 2014, so I would have only been, like, 20 years old at the time. Uh, in college, still listening to a lot of grunge, a lot of like Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and what have you. Um, and uh, so that, those were the kinds of songs I was trying to write. And uh, that song in particular kind of came about in an interesting way because uh, one of the tuning pegs on my guitar that I had out in college uh, broke. And it was the middle of the night, so I couldn't go to like a, a shop or anything to fix it. And I didn't really have the tools on me to be able to fix it myself. So my guitar was stuck in like a really weird tuning that I figured like, well, let me just try to make something out of this. So I came up with a riff. And then uh, that sort of served as the genesis of that song. And then um, the very next day I got my guitar fixed. And then I basically just took the riff that I wrote and transposed everything into standard tuning. And then from there, the whole feel of the song kind of changed. Uh, it had a, it was, it, I mean, it's already like a dark song, but it was way more darker when I wrote it initially. And then when I transposed everything to standard tuning, it kind of started to sound a little poppier. But I was still, like I said, in that sort of grunge mentality where I was kind of trying to write, uh, I guess I'll just be honest, I was kind of trying to write my own Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and um then a couple of years later, I graduated college um, and I started working on my first album. And so I had accumulated all these songs that I wrote throughout college. And those were the songs that I wanted uh, to be on my record. And um, but by that point, I was starting to kind of mature a little bit, um, you know, uh, seeing life for what it was. You know, I had accepted a job. I moved out here. Uh, and you know, that alone just kind of like changes your whole perception of things. And just kind of going through life in general, you start to realize that, you know, while it's good to take inspiration from your influences, you shouldn't just try to fully imitate your influences either, especially if you didn't really grow up in the same environment as them. That was one lesson that I really had to learn. You know, growing up, I was really into, like, all the big hard rock stuff, but those guys really, like, grew up... I mean, a lot of them were street urchins and stuff like that, and that really, like, uh, reflected into the authenticity of their music, I guess I should say, so... In trying to become like a more authentic musician myself, I started trying listening to other things and trying to incorporate other kinds of sounds into my uh, recording process instead of just trying to be hard rock, you know, or, or grunge or anything like that. And so I started listening to a lot of new wave and uh, trying to experiment with those sounds. So uh, uh, like a lot of tears for fears and things like that. Uh, so, uh, while I was jokingly in my head calling that song meant to go insane, smells like teen spirit meets tears for fears, because <laughs> those were the kinds of sounds I was trying to incorporate into it by that point. And then that's kind of, that was what I was trying to go for on that record. And then, um, that came out and, uh, it didn't really go far. I mean, people liked it, but you know, uh, it was pretty much after that came out and did what it did when I started to really like, uh grow out of my delusions of uh, really trying to make a substantial, uh, I don't want to say career, but a, su a su substantial mark in music uh, for myself, you know, and um, I was starting to settle more into my job and uh, really just kind of, uh, you know, maturing and seeing the world for what it was and uh, being okay with it. 
And uh, when that happened, uh, I basically, for my next three albums that I did after that, the three records I've done since then, I decided I was going to just focus on the songwriting aspect because I had come to realize once I was really only doing music for myself and not trying to impress other people, I had realized that the songwriting aspect is really all I cared about. I didn't really care about the production. I didn't really care about layering or, or the sort of delivery of it all. So that's why my three records that I did after that were all just acoustic albums that I basically just recorded all in one take. I, I mean, I made them all on my phone. I just sat down with my acoustic guitar, put my phone in front of me and just hit play and, and that was it. And I don't regret doing my first album the way I did it with like all the, because the, the album we're meant to go insane comes from, you know, because I had a lot of overdubs and electric guitars and synthetic bass and drums. I bought a computer with GarageBand and everything just to help me get it done. And I don't regret doing any of that still because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. But once I had made an album like that, I was like, all right, been there, done that. Going forward, I just care about the songs, even if they sound like demos from now on. It doesn't matter as long as I like them. That's all that matters. Um, so then in the case of the outro song, Influx, that came out on the third album, uh, that and the that was the opening song, and then the closing song was called Outflux. Those are the only two songs on that album that use a keyboard and a drum beat. The rest of that album is acoustic, just like everything else that I had done recently. Um, and those, honestly, were just, again, from the year 2014, uh, I was going through a phase where I was just, like, experimenting and fiddling around with different things, and then I just had those recordings left over and kind of forgot about them, and then one day I remembered that I had them and was trying to figure out what I want to do with them. And then I kind of came up with the idea of just using them as the intro and outro of that album that I was making at the time, because I, I they weren't called influx and outflux that they were, they had like just random names. I think one of them was called water and the other one was called ice. And I don't know why I changed it. Just <laughs> felt like it. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. Well, when you had given us that um, original selection of songs, which I think, DJ, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Nuno was the first person not named Mark or DJ that we had kind of sat down and explained the plan to. Yeah. I mean, you know, even my wife was kind of, you know, it was the middle of the pandemic, and she was just like, yeah, whatever, as long as you're not annoying me, I don't care what you do, have fun. And Nuno gave, me the, gave us a selection of songs, and DJ and I both kind of went we listened to them separately and we said, we're going to get together and we're each going to pick three and you know, we'll go from there and we'll decide X, Y, and Z. And I had, I think I listened to them first and you said, well, what ones do you like? And I said, no, 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 no. You listen. And then we'll go from there. And both of us had meant to go insane as our number one pick. Yeah. <laughs> which was kind of fun. Nice. <laughs> and then when we had first recorded the episode and DJ put it all together and I played it for the wife, she goes, oh, that, that song's really good. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, Nuno, he made, that was on his album and blah, blah, blah. She said, what's it called? And I said, well, it's meant to go insane. She said, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was all she said. <laughs> Yeah, wow. the, I mean the the song is amazing, but the the, the the name of the song just really matches mine and Mark's friendship. It really does. Playing video games and Dungeons and Dragons together and getting together uh, in person and playing board games, like we just we tend towards truly insane things in our friendship, and it's just kind of this nice, like uh, this podcast is a nice encapsulation of that, and it was really nice to like have a song that kind of represented what, you know, what we're about, but also like 
you know, it, we both sat down way early, like even before talking to Nuno, and we're like, let's not try and like come up with music ourselves. Let's try to find like a local artist. And you know, we were mid pandemic at the time, and we're like, you know, our, we know that a lot of artists out there aren't having a great time. Let's let's try and support one of them, and and you know, uh, signal boost and and all of that good stuff. So. Uh, we, we joke about it, but Nuno is truly the third shadow brother of the podcast. No, he he, he really is. I mean, right. you know, in, in all stereotypes, there's there's a bit of truth. And I mean, that, that running joke is based a lot on truth. Um, you know, he just from the few Zoom calls and everything we had, he said, yeah, I think I get where you guys are going. You know, here's here's X, Y and Z. Listen to these. I think these will fit. And he bloody nailed it. Obviously. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, and I think for Influx, we both had Influx on our list, too, and then we had, like, an additional third. We did, yeah. I think I had Influx 3, and you had it 2, and then I can't remember what my third was, or which was second, but I can't remember what the third one was. But we're like, ah, this works, okay, boom, yeah, done. I, I still have them somewhere in the Wit & Whiskey folder. There's just a, a, a folder called Nuno's Awesomeness, and it's all of the songs uh-huh. Nuno sent us. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And you guys have like exclusive versions of those songs because what I did was I took the masters and I isolated out the vocals and I sang it just the instrumentals. Nobody else has those. So, yeah, here you go, guys. Uh, a a Wit and Whiskey exclusive. <laughs> We're coming up in the world, man. We got guests now. We have exclusive intros and outros. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, another but, two or three years we might have merch. Yeah, Hold you never on, know. I, I know we're we're still pretty underground, though, man. I mean, we 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 don't want to <laughs> sell out too soon. <laughs> yeah, no, that, man, bro. <laughs> that that would be awful if somebody wanted to give us a lot of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if somebody wanted to send us really expensive whiskeys, oh, that'd be the worst. Yeah, that would be terrible. Um, you know, if, if you want to doom yourself to a bad review, email the Witten Whiskey at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, the Witten Whiskey cast at gmail.com. Oh, my, my bad. The yeah, Witten Whiskey yeah. cast at gmail.com. <laughs> so, uh, but, oh, go, go, ahead. No, go ahead, DJ. I was, well, I was going to say, you know, Dudo, we were talking a little bit before we went on air about your uh, writing, writing, not your songwriting. Mm-hmm. And I, I am a little curious only because uh, I don't do any, you know, proper writing. I have a, a newspaper column that I do for work and yada, yada, yada. But I'm the type of guy, you know, being not creative, I need a deadline. Like my column for the March issue of this, uh, you know, the first week of March is due uh, Wednesday. So I'm probably going to do it at 4.59 on Wednesday <laughs> before it's due. But you strike me as a man who does not procrastinate. Well, I mean, in college, I procrastinated a lot. Actually, one time, I, I always love telling these stories. <laughs> uh, I had a, a paper due, uh, but there was a Paul McCartney concert at, uh, right there at school. <laughs> and I was like, all right, paper, Paul McCartney, paper, ah, Paul McCartney. So I went to the show <laughs> and um, uh, he played for three and a half hours, which is crazy because the man was like 78 already. at the, Or no, he's like 78 now. And this was like five years ago. All right. So he's like. 73 but still like i can't play for three and a half hours now at my age the guys over there yeah just completely tearing it up it was awesome it was definitely the best show i've ever been to and i'm not even like a massive beatles fan like most other people out there i like them but like 
I, I've, I've never like been blown away in the same way other people are, but that show was something else. And like, there were times where he even sounded better than he did on the albums from 50 years ago. It was crazy, but to make a long story short. So the gig ended at like, I guess midnight and my paper was due at eight or nine in the morning. So I never went back to my dorm room that night. I went straight to the library and stayed up all night <laughs> writing this paper from scratch. <laughs> and it had to be like a big, like 23 page paper or something ridiculous like that. And I ended up getting, I think a B minus. So I was like, Ah, given the circumstances, that's like an A plus for me. So good enough. <laughs> yeah, a, a B minus, and you got to see Paul McCartney. That's just a double win. Yeah, I'll I'll take it. That's an awesome story. <laughs> Thanks. And then uh, I only have one other one that's like that um, that I can remember. I mean, you know, college. Like sometimes you have to stay up for like forty eight hours or something ridiculous like that for projects and things like that. But the only other big one, as far as papers that I remember, was. Um, it was actually the last assignment I ever had right before I graduated. And uh, we were uh, supposed to pick from two assignments. One was writing a script for like a potential, uh, a hypothetical short film. And the other one was picking a movie to analyze. And I was like, all right, well, I'll pick the movie one. And I waited literally until the night before to do it. And right as I was about to start, I was like, let me double check the rubric one more time. And I did. And I missed it. But in the fine print, it said, no, if you pick the movie review option, you have to double check with the teacher to make sure it's a movie that's appropriate to review. Oh, fuck. So now I had to stay up all night again. Same shit. Do it eight in the morning. Can I curse on this? Oh, of course. Yeah. We have, nobody can hear it. (laughs) All right. All right. Cool. (laughs) Um, I always uh, forget to double check that with people when it comes to this kind of stuff, but, um, cool. But, uh, yeah. So now I had to come up with a story and write a script for a hypothetical short film, all night in a matter of eight hours and I did and I got it done again. I think I got like a B or something fine enough moved on. But, uh, I just find it funny that the last assignment I ever had to do before graduating was something as absurd as that. (laughs) But, uh, so no, I procrastinate. Uh, but, uh, I guess, um, when it comes to, uh, things that I'm just genuinely passionate about things that are my own ideas, I just have a sense of drive, you know, I, 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 I uh, when somebody tells me to do something, I tend to procrastinate. But when I want to do something on my own accord, I tend to get it done right away. If that makes sense. Now, d- how does inspiration strike? You know, whether it be for songwriting or for writing, writing. Like, do you carry around a notebook? Do you, you know, have like a laptop? Or do you just like when it hits you? Do you sit and write, or do you say, oh, "Okay, I have this idea sort of forming in the back of my head." You know, later on the night, I'm going to sit down and sort of flesh this out. Yes. So I have a, a, the notes tab on my phone, like everyone else does. I really take full advantage of that because inspiration could strike for any particular thing at like any random moment. So whether I'm like sitting at home or like out and about grocery shopping, if an idea for anything just kind of pops into my head, I pull out that notes tab on my phone or the reminders tab and make a little note, even if it's just like a, if it's like a story idea, I try to just quickly write down like a working title, like a word or something so that I remember what the story idea was. If it's like a song lyric, I'll just quickly write the song lyric down. But I haven't really been doing much of music lately, so I don't really do that anymore. But story ideas, uh, those still uh, come fairly often, I would say. Yeah. Have you ever written anything down and then gone back and gone, what the fuck did I mean by that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Actually, I even wrote a meta short story about exactly that. Where, like, 
it was I was writing about a time where like I was in the middle of work at the office and then came up with an idea and then I wrote down a word on my phone to remind myself the idea and then I got home later that night and looked at the word and was like well I don't remember what this was supposed to be about so instead of writing about that I wrote about that meta like experience you know what I mean like uh, that's pretty cool I'm so envious of creative people who can just do that I, it takes me Thanks. so much effort to be creative. Yeah, it's it's not something that I'm good at or that, you know, it, it comes with a lot of effort for me, unfortunately. So to, so to be able to hear you, I mean, even here, you're just like, yeah, no, you do this, you do this, like, you know, I'm, I'm jealous because it seems like it's so so effortless. You make it you make it seem so effortless. Oh, well, I appreciate that, but I, uh, I could definitely say that it's not... Um, because, you know, I, I mean, I've been doing a lot of these things all my life, and that's not to try to toot my own horn. It's just kind of true. And uh, even now, I'm still not necessarily what I would call good at it. You know, you're always kind of learning something new. I don't think I ever, with music, I don't think I ever really got to the point where I would call myself a professional. Uh, with writing, I'm kind of trying to get there, but, you know, at my own pace and not taking it too seriously to the point where, like, it stresses me out. But, uh, no, there's always something new to learn, so... Hey, you just got to start. You got to start small is what it is. Uh, I've definitely been through that a lot, both with music and with uh, now writing fiction. And I guess you could lump poetry into there is that I always start off by biting more than I could chew. And then I overwhelm myself. So then I have to take a step back and like learn how to scale things down so that I could make them as like small and accessible as possible. Uh, I've talked about that with a DJ in the past uh, where like I would try writing short stories and he would read them and it was obvious that like my ideas were really novel sized ideas and I just didn't know how to write those kinds of ideas yet. And, uh, so that I had to kind of step, take a step back and start writing flash fiction and micro fiction instead. That's like stories that are less than a thousand words, less than 500 words. And, uh, a lot of those stories, because you're limited in scope, you have to, uh, um, if you're really new at it, you really shouldn't start with genre stuff like sci-fi and fantasy. You should really like just write about people, write about real life so that just you're developing like the muscle for it, the, the rhythm and the cadence, and then start tackling the bigger stuff in terms of scope and scale, like further down the road. So it's, a, you know, it's all about discipline, I guess, and kind of checking in with yourself. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for those first couple of short stories because in my experience, DJ doesn't, he's not good at giving criticism. So he probably was just sitting there like, this is fine. (laughs) (laughs) He was brutally honest and in a way that I was happy about actually. Yeah. Oh, that's, you're never mean to me. You know, I always (laughs) just end up beating up on you. What the hell? I tend to find, I, I mean, the, the topic's creativity, right? Like, I tend to find that I am at my most creative within the, the walls of somebody else's story, which sounds, yes. it sounds kind of silly, right? But, like, Mark knows this. You know, he and I play D&D together, and uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an okay DM. I, I do a lot of improv DM stuff, and I have a hard time, like, preparing to the level of depth of the the dms that i really really respect um but like put me in somebody else's world or 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 give me somebody else's fiction and and when they're asking for feedback and i'm i can be creative and i can work through that process um so like you know nuno and i have had many conversations about uh fiction and writing and things like that and uh, i once thought i would 
I had aspirations to be this fantastic writer. And honestly, every single idea I've ever had, I just, I, I don't have the discipline to sit down and write a story. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, if I if I create a character based on those ideas and play with that character in somebody else's space, um, then I tend to thrive. Or, or if I'm, you know, a, a friend is telling me about what they wanted to do with the writing and then they give me that, that writing, I can say, here's how I feel as a reader. Let's talk about this. And, and I can help out in that way. And I, I think we're talking a lot about like writing, right? Like music, writing music, writing, writing fiction or, 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 or writing prose. Um, but I think this holds true for other areas of creativity too. Oh, right? for sure. Like I, I'm a martial artist and I, uh, I do my best creativity with martial arts inside the systems that are already established so i can i can create techniques i can i can generate forms and and kata based on like what i've known in the past and combining them in interesting ways i can create things whole hog based on techniques i come up with but it, it for me the creative process is building on something that was already there and not necessarily inventing something whole cloth yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think definitely. you have to you have to have a a, a game, you know, a, a a goal to shoot towards. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look at you know, not just racing, but just all the the different cars I've had. You know, me and the old man that we've built that we've done X, Y, and Z. The wife always gets mad at me. She says, "You get bored so easily, and then you know, you sink all this money into this, and then you get bored and you sell it." No, it's just when we get something, we say, "All right, we're going to do X with this." You know, when we had the Nova, we wanted a car that did fantastic wheel stands. When we had the uh, Chevelle, we wanted a car that would run 980s in the quarter mile, but only using parts available in the 1960s. Mm. It did, different, we just come up with these different things, usually sitting around a bar, usually with a bottle of something in front of us. But we want to do X. And then we work for a year, two years, however long it takes. We accomplish X. And then it's like, all right, well, now what? And then usually we can't come up with a second X for the same vehicle. <laughs> so you have to get another vehicle. But it's the same thing. You need, I, I'm the same way. I need some kind of structure. I need some kind of thing. You know, it's, it, and I think a lot of that is improv. I always liked improv. You know, you're yes anding. You're basically playing off of whoever you're with. Yeah. And to me, just personally, that's more fun than sitting down and writing my own thoughts on paper because it's like, well, nobody else gives a shit about these. It's just my thoughts. Whereas you can have a little bit more fun with a back and forth. I agree. Yeah, I think in all forms of art, there's definitely something to be said about the idea that there's opportunity and limitations. Uh, Sometimes like setting up barriers for oneself kind of force you to get things done. Like to just, uh, like you said, set goals, you know, so that you could actually generate deliverables. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that does kind of bring us to like an interesting topic here, right? Like setting goals and, and, and having deadlines. Um, Nuno, I really want to talk to you about your, your book. Okay. Yeah. Um, so shameless plug here for our good friend. Uh, this is out on Amazon right now. You can go get it. Uh, you can get it in paperback. I have a lovely copy sitting, uh, on my bedside table right now. It's called little life lessons, 55 super short stories. Bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) 
It's the whiskey making my tongue numb. <laughs> um, and Nuno, I, I'd love to hear, like, you know, what was your process for, like, putting this together, writing the super short fiction? I, I've definitely, uh, I like leafing through it and reading, you know, a, a page or two uh, here and there. And it, it's all good and uh, great fiction, really relatable. Sure. Uh, so I guess first thing to clarify is that uh, if anyone finds the book and is confused about the name, yes, I did publish it under a pen name uh, as a writer uh, of fiction and a writer of poetry and the writer on my blog. I go by Henry N. Silva. I switched my first and middle name, not legally, not yet, at least. But uh, <laughs> that was just something after I did after I published my first album and started slowly shifting towards writing. Uh, I was starting to feel a little insecure about my name. I wanted to go by something different. Many years ago, somebody had already suggested that I go by Henry because uh, they knew that I was my that was my middle name. Uh, for some reason at the time, it didn't click with me. But then a different friend that I was talking to more recently said, how about Henry N. Silva? You know, his idea was like switch the two names and then turn Nuno into an initial uh, since a lot of authors tend to kind of play around with that kind of stuff, you know, playing around with initials and things like that. So the moment he spelled it out that way for me, like a light bulb went off in my head and I was just like, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. It, like even in my head now, I'm not Nuno anymore. I'm Henry. I'm fine with, you know, you guys know me as Nuno, so I'm fine going by that. But like usually nowadays when I introduce myself to people uh, that I'm meeting for the first time, I, I go by Henry and things like that. So, um, but, you know, just kind of wanted to clarify that in case anybody was confused. Um, that being said, um, as far as the book goes itself, uh, where did that all start? Um, I guess it was, I, well, funny enough, DJ, I think it kind of started after you and I spoke one time about it. I, I had written a fantasy short story, and uh, you critiqued it, and you liked it, but you definitely had uh, some uh, uh, constructive criticism, and we were kind of talking it out at lunch at work one day, and then you know, I was mentioning how I was kind of struggling with, like, figuring out how to, like, pace myself and not bite off more than I could chew. And you had said, you know, how about microfiction? And um, I, uh, you know, I had heard of flash fiction before. A different writing mentor of mine had already kind of suggested it, and I had started playing around with it, but I wasn't taking it too seriously. And it wasn't until after you and I had that conversation where it really hit me, like, I should probably take this a lot more seriously now. And, um... So from there, I kind of started to take a break from all of, like, my sci-fi and fantasy ideas and my post-apocalyptic ideas and all that kind of stuff and really just focused on writing down really just things that, like, I observed in my day-to-day -day life. And, uh, but obviously twisting it so that it would still become fictional. You know, all those stories in some way or another are loosely based on real events, but they're twisted into fiction just enough to the point where they don't really, like, relate directly to me or relate directly to people I know. Some of them are just, like, based on, like, things I've heard in the news, um, things like that. And uh, to my point earlier, a lot of it started by just writing down working titles on my uh, list on my phone and then kind of going from there. Uh, after a while, it kind of just became, like, a therapeutic exercise where, like, uh, by that point, uh, when it came time to actually write the stories, uh, I was handwriting everything for the most part. Some things I would type, but I found myself enjoying it a lot more when I was handwriting. So I had like this little notebook that I took everywhere with me with the pen. And, uh, you know, I would like go sit at cafes and just jot things down. And um, I, would, I would try to write at least one of those a day for a while because uh, that was like my way of trying to make every day feel meaningful, if that makes sense. 
And uh, I ended up writing way more than 55. I think I wrote like 64 or something like that. And then uh, I got to a point where I was like, all right, well, I got to organize all this now. Uh, and uh, that the organization process took forever. That took longer than the actual damn writing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, oh, I had to do all kinds of crazy things. I had to like make Excel graphs <laughs> with like all the titles of the different little mini stories. And then next to them listing all the different attributes so that I could try to find like common threads and common themes so that I could come up with some kind of ordering for it all. And then, you know, from there, uh, I kind of started to cut stuff out because coming from the music world, one of the biggest lessons you learn when you make an album is that not every song is going to end up on the album. That's just the way it is. Like, you know, certain songs are going to just end up on the cutting room floor, no matter who you are. I mean, there's guys like Prince that like every time they made an album, he would make like a hundred songs and only like the best 10 of them would end up on the album and then the other 90 will go into his bank vault that he had in his basement <laughs> and he accumulated like thousands of songs there. So, uh, and I, I didn't go through anything that extreme, but you know, I did go through that lesson of learning that not every single one of my songs is going to be good. And some of them just are going to have to end up on the cutting room floor, which for me is not a cool bank vault in my basement. It's just a file on my computer, but you know, same thing. And, um, so uh, I knew right away, like, all right, some of these stories got to go. So uh, I, I, I narrowed it down to 55 because I just thought it'd be cool to have, like, a, I don't know, like a rhythmic number like that, you know. Like, I knew it was going to be something like 50 or 55 or 60 or 44, you know. Like, I, I wanted something like that. And I wanted to uh, break it out into even number of sections. So I came up with, like, five sections, 11 stories in each. And then from there, it wasn't perfect. Some stories had to come out and other stories had to come in. Some stories I had to just write at the last minute to fill in some gaps. Um, certain stories had to be altered so that they would fit into a certain section if I wanted to move something from one grouping to another. It was just all kinds of, I don't know, it's like the best way I could describe it is like some kind of collage where like you start off with just all the different pieces all over the place and you just have to keep like massaging it with your hands and organizing it over and over until it comes out to something that looks cohesive and looks like you had it planned out all along, even though you really didn't. <laughs> and uh, then from there in each section, I tried to order the stories in a specific way. And I kind of wanted the whole thing to feel like it was going through like the cycle of life, you know, like uh, birth, life and death. And, you know, I didn't get it quite exactly there, but I got close, I would say. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much how it all came about. I mean, like, the big theme throughout all of them, and the reason it's called Little Life Lessons is, like, because I was trying to play around with the idea of, like, catharsis. Like, you you go through something bad in life, and you, you write it so that way you give it meaning, and, like, you kind of, like, learn to accept that it happened to you, but, you know, it's okay because now you turned it into art. And some, st some of the stories in that book kind of play to that meta message more than others, but for the most part, that's what I was like trying to think of was like catharsis and like therapy and things like that. So that's like kind of what I hope people get out of it. And that's kind of like what I hope strings it all together. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. So definitely check that out. I, I enjoy reading through these while I'm, I'm tired and, and heading to bed. It's a nice way to end the night. That's awesome. I'm happy to hear that. Well, DJ, do you have any, any final questions for Mr. Silva? I don't think so. Uh, Nuno, is there anything you'd like us to, to plug here now, now that you've, uh, uh, you, you've got this avenue of, of talking to some of our fans? Uh, 
Uh, well, thank you for plugging my my book. I appreciate that. I do definitely plan to write more. I don't know when I'm going to get around to it. I've already started. Um, I definitely, at least for the immediate future, just plan to write like little collections, like short story collections and poetry collections and things like that. Uh, but yeah, on Amazon, if you just find the book, it'll it gives you a link to like my author profile. So then, if I ever come out with any other books in the future, they would show up there. Nice. Um, and uh, I know you guys have already plugged my music in the past, so I appreciate that. Oh, of course. And, um, yeah. I, uh, um, if you're curious to read my thoughts on pop culture, among other things, I have a blog called Thoughts on Anything. Uh, but the URL is henryansilva.blogspot.com. Uh, I've been doing a lot of ranting there about uh, fandoms and things like that. So. <laughs> nice. Yep. I think that's about it. Sweet. Mark, take us home. All right. Well, you heard the man, Henry and Silva, blogspot.com. The book again, Little Life Lessons, 55 super short stories. It's five-star reviewed on Amazon, ladies and gentlemen. Much like this podcast, five-star <laughs> review. So like is feeding like here. Uh, of course, as always, we are going to have a link to Nuno's SoundCloud in our uh, notes for this episode. So go there, take a listen to all of his wonderful works there, and enjoy it. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, we are now on 15 different podcast apps. I, we're not going to go through all of them. We'll do that later on. Look for it on, on Facebook and on Instagram. We'll have the full list. Facebook, Instagram, Gmail, we are the Wit and Whiskey cast. Uh, there's no H in Wit. There is an E in Whiskey, just because we said so. <laughs> uh, you know, we're coming out strong next week. We are finally going to do it. You know, we promised you guests We, we, we uh, for season two. We, we have Nuno on this week. We promised we were going to begin topping about tabletop games. We did that earlier in season two. And next week, I believe we're going to start the big one, the one we've been threatening pretty much since episode one. We are going to do part one of what I hope will only be a two-parter. <laughs> it's funny that you think it'll only be a two-parter. <laughs> See what I mean? On Pokemon. Because next year, is, or next year, next week is the silver anniversary of the little pocket monsters. So we're going to be discussing all 151 of them in their glory over the next two weeks. And then we may have, I think we're going to have another guest after that. So we're going to go Nuno this week, Pokemon, Pokemon, and then I think we're going to have another guest after that. I think we have it all lined up. Yeah, our, our goal is to is to try and get three guests this season. So uh, we'll see how successful we are by the time we get to the end. Yeah, but I think this went really well. So big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva. Thank you again, Nuno, for being our first guest and bringing Thanks some much needed it. legitimacy to this podcast. <laughs> uh, you're too kind. <laughs> no, but thank you for having hey. me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you to all of our fans that listen. Uh, big shout out to one of our fans, my buddy Matt Bryce. Matt, I know you listen. It's your birthday today as we record this. So it's going to be a week later when you listen to it. But it's your birthday today. So happy birthday, buddy. Oh, yes. Uh, happy birthday. Otherwise, until next week, this has been Mark Rossetti Jr. For DJ Gagnon, for Nuno Henry Silva, salute. Cheers. Cheers.